Well, hi, and welcome to the Vote Her podcast, because when you vote, great things can happen. Hi, I'm Mara Davis, and I'm starting to wear jeans again because the sun is shining and the light is coming in, and I'm here today to talk to Senator Jordan. And I am Jen Jordan, and I am feeling so incredibly positive. The sun is shining. It feels like we're finally going to get back to some kind of level of normality. And I am just so incredibly grateful today. So welcome, y'all. And you're wearing regular pants, too. I know. It's crazy. (laughs) Well, I kind of have to with the state Senate. They're not really into that whole jogging pant look. Be great, like, businesswoman, activewear, chic after this year. It's almost like pajama day, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're obviously excited because the vaccines, there's been all these announcements about vaccines that they're speeding up and that everybody should be vaccinated by definitely the springtime. By the May, there'll be a vaccine available for every adult. I did see on your Twitter, you were vaccinated. So how did that go? I got my first shot and it was quick and it was easy and it's amazing I don't think we realize how much kind of emotional heaviness we've all had on us. So it was almost like having that burden lifted. Um, Yeah. 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 It's incredible. It's incredible. Well, I'm getting mine soon and because they lowered the age and they added more like things to to be wrong with you. So you can get it. (laughs) Literally, if you are breathing and walking in the state of Georgia. I mean, BMI over 25, come on. That's like if you're not a high school girl, like what? <laughs> so I'm going to report back because I got mine. I'm doing the Mercedes-Benz Stadium one. And it's really exciting that we're a year ago. I mean, I think we're seeing all the tweets and the news and the news reels of like what we were doing a year ago and how much we've learned in a year and like how this year is going to impact our lives forever. I don't think we have any clue. I mean, I think, you know, I've talked to a lot of people, especially in the school systems that, you know, were really worried, you know, about the mental health, not only of students, but of teachers. I mean, this has been an incredibly traumatic year for a lot of folks. And I think it's one of those things, it's like when you're grieving or when you're dealing with someone dying in your family, you kind of just put your head down and you push through it because that's what you got to do. And it's like collectively... That's what we've been doing. So when we're able to actually process, I think I think we're going to have a lot to process. Yeah, I know that it's just so refreshing to have hope instead of like every month was doom and gloom and then it was like Christmas time and it was just hearing again, it's going to get bad before it gets better. And now you're just hearing it's going to get better. It's going to get better, you know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I will say before I got my first shot, I was really kind of down in the dumps because I had major vaccine envy. And, you know, like when the (laughs) CDC came out and said, yeah, if you've been vaccinated, you can hang out together without masks. And I was like, no, I just am excited to have a dinner party. I am excited to go to a restaurant and sit at a bar. Uh, There's just a lot of things that I want to do. But let's get into the meat and potatoes of what vaccines mean in Georgia. So there's a couple of things. The American Rescue Plan was passed. President Biden and Vice President Harris, they're coming to town on the 19th to do sort of a victory lap 
in Georgia. And so number one, Georgia's been like kind of in last place with vaccines. Boo. But maybe that's getting better. Now the vice president and president are coming to town. My question to you, Senator Jordan, does Governor Kemp meet them on the tarmac when they fly in? I mean, he should. I mean, as he's the president of the United States, she's the vice president of the United States. As a matter of protocol, absolutely. But I think what we've seen is that sometimes the ugly politics of our time kind of trumps protocol. So I hope so, especially in light of the fact that we are getting so much help from the federal government. For whatever reason, we've had a really hard time getting shots in arms. It's not a supply issue. So the feds are actually coming in. I think they're the ones that are going to run the Mercedes-Benz Stadium mass vaccination site. That's because we're like last in terms of getting these shots administered. So we owe a lot to the federal government. And the least we could do is have our governor greet our president. Well, isn't that, it puts him in weird territory, right? Because he's already got a very challenging gubernatorial run. And sometimes the optics of those things can be really weird. I remember Chris Christie in Hurricane Sandy, when Obama, President Obama came to New Jersey to offer aid and do a tour and they had sort of hugged it out. And I remember a lot of people were, a lot of Republicans were not happy about that. Yeah, I'm. people just need to grow up. I, I agree. I mean, the, the, the politics has just gotten so out of control that you can't even like be a normal human being and do your job as the head of state of a state, you should greet the head of state of our country. So, yeah, like optics, schmoptics, whatever. I'm, I'm so sick and tired of all that. All I know is that Biden is coming and right now I am loving me some Joe. Yeah, me too. Me too. So, okay. So I'm betting he'll be there. I think you're betting he'll be there too. Yes. Hmm. Okay. I'll I'll say no. All right. You say yes, I'll say no. And then like we'll buy each other a drink when we can go to a restaurant. You say goodbye. (laughs) I say hello. All right. Fair enough. Done, done, done. So we'll have to see how that pans out. And our loyal fans of eight people will be excited for the results. And that'll be great. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm highly competitive. So, you know, I may like whatever. We'll see. We'll see oh, so who you're wins gonna make a, You're going to make a call. Who am I going to make a call to? <laughs> Wait, are you going to like push him down the stairs at the Capitol? <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of people around the governor protecting okay. him right okay. now. I just had a great visual of that as yeah. in you would have a one up on me in that way. All right. So moving on from that, I did want to play this one clip, which is of Dolly Parton. And it's interesting when we're talking about optics because here we have four former presidents who have done the PSA about getting vaccines and Trump is not on the commercial and there have been polls out that Republican men don't want to get vaccinated. Even Dolly Parton is encouraging her fans to get vaccinated. Well, hey, it's me, 
I'm finally going to get my vaccine. I'm so excited. I've been waiting a while. I'm old enough to get it, and I'm smart enough to get it. So I'm very happy that I'm going to get my Moderna shot today. And I wanted to tell everybody, I think you should get out there and do it too. I even changed one of my songs to fit the occasion. It goes, <clears throat> vaccine, 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 vaccine. I'm begging of you, please don't hesitate. Vaccine, 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 vaccine. Because once you're dead, then that's a bit too late. <laughs> so why wouldn't, why, why is this happening? I don't know. I mean, it doesn't make sense to me at all, but it is interesting because I know the governor's been vaccinated, right? But he didn't do it publicly like a lot of other people to try to encourage other folks to be vaccinated. And so I think that, you know, I don't know. It's Mara. bizarre. It's it's the weirdest thing. But okay, just everybody else, go get a shot in your arm. I mean, if Dolly can't convince you to get a vaccine, I don't know who can. I mean, she's the best. And she, you know, was donated a, a million dollars to Vanderbilt and they developed the Moderna vaccine. Which is the one I got today. So thank you, Dolly Parton. <laughs> Lucky. Love you forever. Next thing I want to talk about is this next phone call. So we still have the district attorney, Fonnie Willis of Fulton County, and this case against uh, the president, the former president. And there's another recording of him talking to Francis Watton. Of Watson, rather, Francis Watton, Watson, Watson. Watton. <laughs> I keep saying, I keep saying that. I keep messing up today because, um, you know, I want to say like, lighten up, Francis, <laughs> because listen to her in this phone call with the president. You know, something happened uh, and something bad happened. And I hope you enjoy that. Uh, that's uh, because if you, uh, you know, I hope you're going back two years as opposed to just checking, you know, one against the other, because that would just be sort of a, a, uh, a signature check that didn't mean anything, but if you go back two years and if you can get to Fulton, you're going to find things that are going to be unbelievable, the, the dishonesty that, that we've heard from them. Right. You know, just good sources, really right. good sources. But Fulton, Fulton is the mother load, you know, as the expression goes, Fulton County. Right. And, uh, well, Mr. President. I want to say, you know, Right. Yeah, I, you know, I, I appreciate your comments and, and I, I, I can assure you that our team and the GBI that we're only interested right. in, in, in the truth and, and finding, right. you know, great. finding the information that's based on the facts. And, you know, right. we, we, we've been working, um, 12, 16 hour days and, right. you know, we're, we're working through it. And, um, so I can assure you that. And, um, I, I do appreciate you calling. I know that you're a very, very busy, very important uh, man, and and I'm very honored that that you called. And you know, and, and quite so important what you're doing. Quite, um, quite frankly, I, I I'm shocked, and that, that you you would take time to to do that. But yeah. I am very appreciative. Now Mark asked me to do it. So is there anything here? I mean, we've had all the phone calls with the president trying to pressure Georgia election officials to to cook the books. Is this going to is this a is, you you tweeted that it was significant? I think it's significant because I think it shows a pattern. Also, this is with I mean, the secretary of state released this, which means that they felt like they needed to because they probably ha had to hand it over to the district attorney in Fulton County. 
So I think one, there's that. I think it's also significant that they felt so much pressure that Frances Watson was feeling so much pressure <laughs> that she friggin' records her call with the president of the United States. Francis. Francis. But it's legal. Well, and you can go on, uh, just Google it and you can hear the whole call. Obviously, we don't want to air the whole thing because it does give me an anxiety attack a little bit listening to the president all over again in, in this sort of maniacal, like crazy uncle way. As in like, everybody's going to be proud of you, Francis, if you do the right thing. It's, it's just, it's really uh, some intimidation tactics there. Well, it wasn't as overt from the way I kind of perceived it as the call with the Secretary of State. But again, it kind of shows this pattern in practice with respect to the president. So the question is, are there other recordings out there? And then how many other elected officials did he call to put pressure on them, even if there's not a recording of it? Because I think all of that is going to be really, really important for purposes of District Attorney uh, Willis's case. Because, you know, if it's just a one-off or whatever, it's a lot harder to kind of show that he was really trying to do something. But the more that you can kind of build the evidentiary record, I mean, it's really, really going to be hard for people to kind of just say, nah, nothing there, nothing to see when we already have two recordings that we know of. Well, you said it last week. You got the dude on tape. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the dude, the president of the United States. Well, we're going to have to keep our eye on that. In the meantime, we have to keep our eye on these aggressive voting bills that are proposing all these measures to really suppress voting. And it's not just in Georgia. I mean, it's multiple states around the country. And it's pretty unbelievable. But there are some superstars who are really speaking out. The grocery store, but it wasn't a short ride where I come from. And so where I come from, you don't have people that you can just call real quick to come and fix things for you. If something was broken, my daddy had to pull out his tools and he had to tinker with it until it got fixed. And if he couldn't fix it, then he called his brother, my granddaddy, and together they would work on fixing the problem. One of my favorite memories is standing on a chair looking into the hood of his pickup truck while he tinkered with it to fix it. When I was about 10 years old, I decided that I wanted to be like my daddy. And so I went and I lugged the big Electrolux vacuum cleaner. Y'all remember those big ones? I lugged it into my room, I closed the door, and I pulled out my little tool kit that I'd received when I was for Christmas. And I decided I was going to fix it, so I took it all apart. And uh, my dad, you know how parents, they always know when their child is up to something they're not supposed to be up to. So my daddy came and he said, Kim, what you doing? And I said, Daddy, I'm trying to fix the vacuum cleaner. And he said to me, well, baby, what was wrong with it? I didn't know it was broken. And I tried to come up with some reasons, some explanations. But at the end of the day, I just had to look at him shamefaced and say, Daddy, it wasn't broken. I just wanted to be productive. I wanted to, it wasn't broken. And my dad looked at me in the eyes with deep compassion and he said, Honey, I want you to remember this. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. If it ain't broke, 
don't fix it. Friends, we have spent months and months and countless dollars proving to Georgia citizens and to people all over this nation that our electoral process ain't broke. And so I just ask you all to take the advice from a good old rural country black farmer from South Carolina. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I yield the well. So today we have Representative Kim Jackson. She is Georgia's first LGBTQ state senator in Senate District 41, which represents DeKalb and Gwinnett counties. And she does so many things, including being a farmer and an Episcopal priest. And as we just learned, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Representative Jackson, it is so great to have you on today. Senator Mara, Senator, Senator come did on. I say, oh my gosh, I messed up. Should I do that over? <laughs> nope, nope. Keep going. Keep plowing. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. I just tell people that Representative Jackson is a different person because he is. Uh, there is a Representative Jackson and it's not me. But uh, hi, it's great to be here. I should say Miss Jackson if you're nasty. Okay. Well, Maybe I'm sorry, not that. Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not that, Mayor. Maybe not that. No, we definitely needed a little bit of religion in the Senate, and then Kim's kind of brought it to us. So, been so incredibly happy that she's joined us up there. So, and I'm glad she's with us today. So, how did that go as far as that speech that we just heard? As far as like getting ready for that speech with all these restrictive voting laws, how did you prepare for that? Yeah, so it's a funny story. I was literally just driving down the street to the Capitol and that story from my childhood kind of just popped up in my head. And I was like, oh, I think I'll share that in the well. So, I mean, I showed up and I told my team, I'm going to speak from the well today. And they were like, really? Do you have a speech? And I was like, no, I've got it in my head, though, because this is a story I know. And like, this is obvious, guys. It ain't broke. So let's not fix it. Yeah, it was funny. I was listening to it in the hall when you were giving it. And there was a, a Republican senator sitting beside me and we had been chatting. And then when you started speaking, he kind of just stopped and turned his head. And then he looked back at me and he said, is she a preacher? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, why, yes. Why, yes, she is a woman of the cloth. How could you tell? <laughs> so anyway, no, that was it was really great because it kind of just boiled it down for everybody in terms of what we're dealing with. Yeah, I mean, that was my whole thing is there are lawyers like you, Jen, and uh, Elena Perrin and so many other Harold who can give all of the great legal reasons why these bills are horrible. And I felt like I needed to talk to the country boys who were sitting down there who would understand that language. And, and thankfully, I come from that kind of same background so I could speak to them in their own language. So, Senator, you being new to all of this, were you intimidated at all? I mean, did you feel or have you felt nervous going into this or, or have you had just confidence based on, all, you know, you doing all of this kind of public speaking and activism? Oh, no, I still feel nervous. Um, I mean, I feel nervous even I've been a pastor for 10 
11 years and I still get my, my palms get sweaty when it's time for me to preach. And it's the same thing. I still get nervous when it's time for me to go to the well. And a lot of that's just because I understand how important this work is. And I come from a tradition where words matter. And so I want to make sure my words are the right words. And uh, so, yeah, I still get nervous. I'm very confident though, of course, in my ability to speak publicly because I do that for a living, but it's the enormity. It's the weight of it, right? That uh, gives me a little bit of pause. And honestly, I don't want to ever lose that. I don't want to ever take for granted what it is to step into the well, to talk to Georgians and to talk to fellow legislators um, in the same way that I don't ever want to take for granted what it is to step into a pulpit and to try to proclaim something to the people of God. No, I'm kind of the same way. I mean, I've been practicing law for almost 20 years. And it is every time I get up there, I am it, it it's something that just kind of overcomes you, kind of overwhelms yeah. you because of the history of the place. Also being a woman and standing up there um, yeah. and kind of knowing that not many women in this country, in the state have ever had the privilege of being up in the well and, and actually mm-hmm. making people listen to them. Well, and also you get to say that awesome closing line, I yield the well. <laughs> I mean, that is so great. When I watch you ladies do that, it's just like, oh, I want to say that like at Publix or something (laughs) in the checkout line. Kim, so what has been the most surprising thing to you in terms of, you know, the Senate, your Senate journey so far? Yeah, I think the most surprising thing has been how kind and nice and gentlemanly, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, folks have been towards me and then turned around and tried to pass legislation and ultimately will pass legislation that is designed to harm people who look and love like me. That contrast is just incredibly stark. I'm used to, if somebody is going to do things that are harmful to me, I'm used to them being mean about it. But instead, these folks do it with a smile on their face. And uh, that's, that's troubling. Yeah, it also makes it hard because you have these personal relationships. And I'm not talking about like deep friendships or anything, but you kind of like people or they're nice or they're kind. And then they do do stuff that you're like, do you have any friggin' idea what you're doing? And they just don't seem to care sometimes. And that, that is really hard. That's a hard thing. I want to talk to you more about all these voting bills and what that means to you and what you think. And we asked this to Representative Wynn last show as far as what the average person can do. I mean, we keep seeing these restrictive voting bills coming around again and again and again. And we are watching uh, so many people fighting, you know, against it. But what more can we do? Yeah, I mean, I think we have to do all the things. We have to keep sending the emails, keep sending the phone calls and also showing up. I've been so grateful and proud of um, folks that I've marched in the streets with for years. I'm seeing them still showing up every day um, outside with their signs and and folks inside as well. It it takes all of it. Um, I think that we also have to really continue to push uh, our Republican legislators to um, be people of good conscience. And I do actually, because I have some relationships now with these these folks, I do think that there is a part of their heart that could be touched perhaps with by the right people. Maybe it's their own constituents, but um, we need to keep pushing them with, you know, and encouraging them to at least take a walk when it comes time to vote on these things. Yeah. And for those that don't know, so taking a walk is basically 
just leaving the chamber when a vote is happening, because if you're not present, that counts as a no, right? So you have to get 29 votes in order to pass constitutionally in the Senate. So if a few people just kind of walk out, that really hurts their ability to get a bill over the line. And in fact, the omnibus voter suppression bill that came out of the Senate, SB um, 241, Mm -hmm. um, it only passed by 29 votes. Because I think, uh, was it four people that took a walk on that, I think? Yeah, it was was four. We really, we only needed one more person to take a walk and it would have died. Wow. Yeah. That's just so intense for for you guys to send so much as you're doing the work for so many of us. So that's got to feel disappointing when it's just one vote. And I pose that question to both of you. Yeah, look, something that Kim just said kind of struck me after the abortion ban debate. You know, that was devastating because when you kind of put yourself out there and you hope maybe just one person, you know, people that you like, that are that you think are your friends, and then when they all vote like as a team, right? It's yeah. just yeah. it's just this partisan vote. It really is devastating. But I was talking to a guy afterwards and he said, you know, I really appreciate what you said. And I said, well, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. It didn't change anybody's mind. And he said, yeah, but it may have changed some people's hearts. And mm. I think that what you just said, Kim, in terms of just being real with these Republicans and trying to make them understand, it may not get us that vote or, or make them take a walk, but maybe, maybe it'll make them not do something bad next time or, or be so quick to kind of jump in terms of some of these bills. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And, you know, I've really struggled. And Jen, I think I've asked you this question offline a number of times uh, with what it means to me in the minority party. And I've talked about it as, you know, I feel like I'm on a team that's the losing team that we're always losing. But I've really had to change my perspective and begin to see the ways that we have these other, there are wins that don't happen on the board. You know, when you look at the board, it's 29 votes, uh, you know, ours. But there are these other wins that we do get internally through the conversations that we're having or or because we do have senators who decide to take a walk when it's time to vote. And so, but I've, it's been hard for me to to change my perspective on what it means and what it looks like to win. Yeah, it can it can tear you down. I mean, I know when I first came to the Senate, it was really overwhelming because I didn't realize just how much power Democrats didn't have. Yeah. And like at all. I mean, like in Congress, for example, on committees, they have to have proportional representation. So what does that mean? It means that each committee has to really reflect the proportion of Democrats or Republicans in the body as a whole. In the Senate, you don't have to do that. So they literally will put 18 Republicans on a committee and then put two Democrats. And that's where a lot of the fighting and where a lot of the stuff gets done in committees. That's where you can really stop some really bad stuff. But if you're precluded from even being in the room, it really can kind of can pull you down sometimes. Yeah, I mean, Jen, I was on a, in a committee the other day where they didn't have enough Republicans in the room to to vote to pass something through, so they changed it to a hearing only. And then when enough Republicans were in the room to outvote us, they were like, "Oh well, let's let's see how about a motion now." Um, I mean, so just I mean, that's just demoralized. It feels like cheating, right? But it, 
Oh, yeah. These are the rules. They get to play the game this way. Well, and then they have these ex officios that they're almost like they just kind of come in. Um, You can see people texting when they need a warm body to Mm -hmm. come in and kind of, you know, change the vote. So it really is. It's like always changing the rules. But you know what? It just doesn't mean that you you don't play the game. And it definitely doesn't mean that, that you kind of withdraw. Because I think what we know in terms of voting, in terms of constitutional rights, whatever, funding for schools or criminal justice reform, all of that, all of that is on the line every single day. So right. I like to I like to say that we are the loyal opposition. So um, <laughs> they may not see it that way, but I think we are. So Kim, you being the first LBGTQ and uh, also African American in the state Senate at the state house, that is a lot of pressure and a lot of people that you're representing. So how do you carry that weight of being a barrier breaker, but also trying to represent such a big community and even when there's so many like restrictive things that are happening you know you hear about these uh what's happening with the transgender community Mm -hmm. and that you know it's just so that's a lot of pressure on you tell me how you're processing all of that yeah so first of all i know that i don't do it alone um you know the day that i was sworn in i wore a stole that was handed down to me from saint Polly murray who was the first african-american episcopal priest to ever be ordained in the episcopal church she also happened to be queer and so i feel like i carry her with me but there's also just a great cloud of, of witnesses that come with me every day i feel like uh, and i recognize that i can't actually represent the entire community my job i I feel like is to actually help recruit and encourage other LGBTQ folks to to run for office because we're not a monolith. So I can't actually represent us all. We need to have fair and adequate representation. And that means electing more LGBTQ folks. Um, And and I will say the the gay community uh, here in the state has been incredibly loving. And on the hardest of the hardest days, you know, when that anti-trans bill was dropped in the Senate, I can't tell you how many queer folks, how many allies reached out to me to say that they had my back um, and that they were with me. And so it, it does, it keeps me up at night. Um, and I've, I, I wrote my speech multiple times in case that anti-trans bill shows up. And I'm incredibly grateful for the amount of people who just kind of keep saying, Kim, we're with you. We have your back. Um, You may be the only one in that place, but we are watching and we're cheering for you. This trans bill, it's it really, you know, obviously they just passed that through in Mississippi and it seems to be, it's just, you know, as far as like transgender athletes and it just seems so, I don't understand why they're targeting such a small well, it's mean spirit. It's it, I mean, it does feel very mean to me. It just it it absolutely breaks my heart. And it's like I look to to both of you. It's like how do you fix it? How do we change hearts and minds? Well, you try to stop it first. I mean, and I think at least from my perspective, where I'm sitting today, it looks like maybe the bills were stopped in the Senate and the House um, because they didn't cross over. Now that doesn't mean that somebody can't, you know, work some magic and try to, you know, amend another bill. But it really is doing a lot of work behind the scenes, stuff that people don't see. And even reaching out to the business community, because that's the kind of thing that they don't like to see kind of get over the line. It's kind of like RIFRA, right? I mean, they were really loud about that. So, you know, it takes, 
it's kind of like a what the reverend said. I mean, you have to do it all and you have to kind of pull everybody in. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I went to a one Republican that I trusted would be with me on the trans issue and and talk to him. And he said, you know, Kim, I'm talking to my colleagues and we really hope that, you know, it won't see the light of day. And so I want to acknowledge that there are Republicans or at least one who are, you know, who really are trying to look out for the LGBTQ community too, and to exercise his power in the way that he can to keep these bills from, from crossing over. Yeah, I think in some weird way, it's like it would just take them meeting someone or meeting a parent or a family who has gone through this struggle. It pains me that people don't take the time to to just learn about people wanting to live their truth. So is that something that you must be as a preacher trying to you probably talk that out with a lot of people? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, Christianity has been used, it's been weaponized against trans folks. Um, And so I want to acknowledge that the church has actually helped create and stoke this problem. But as a trained theologian, that has been my response is to speak about this um, in ways that with with some Christian language that my fellow legislators understand. And, you know, they continue to say to me, well, God made male and a female and that's it. And, you know, my response is, but God didn't stop. Like God kept making people. If God had stopped, we would only have Adam and Eve, but instead we have billions of people who have, you know, been born. And so it's just important to continue to tell the narrative and also to really address, it's just really bad and poor theology that people are are operating under. And that I've tried to have those conversations on the side to talk about like, well, let's, let's explore this more deeply. And, and unfortunately I found that my, my, that other people have not always been moved by meeting somebody in person, um, but instead they're moved by someone who can kind of bridge the gap. And so the fact that I'm not trans, but have affinity for that community, I think has helped to bridge the gap and, and begin to help to change some hearts and minds. Well, I also think being able to talk in a very learned way about the Bible, I think mm-hmm. that's incredibly important because kind of what you were saying about trying to speak in a very plain way so people understand. I think that a lot of folks that are people of faith or or who are trying to use the Bible or use their faith to kind of push some of this stuff, I think it's, it's a lot more difficult when they have to sit down and talk to somebody who really knows their stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say I have appreciated the fact that they respect me as a pastor. Um, I was actually really worried that me coming in as like this out gay person, that they would be dismissive of of that part of me. But they've respected it and, and have respected me when I've tried to speak with them about things from a theological and from a biblical perspective. I want to go to church with you and I'm a Jewish girl. <laughs> about your uh, farm a little bit. How do you have time? I read that you have dogs, goats, bees, ducks, chickens. Where do you find the time? Yeah, well, we've learned to automate a lot of things, <laughs> uh, let me tell you. And uh, I get up early in the morning to take care of them. Uh, and so I'm actually really grateful for that. It's been I don't know if this is true for Jen, but it's so easy to just become like fully 100% 
engrossed in all things Senate related. And so having these animals that are literally crying, like, please come feed me every morning, um, you know, forces me to get outside, forces me to have to engage with nature. And so it's it's been really healthy and really fun for me. And I do have a spouse who helps with that work as well. So it, it takes a team. It sounds like your farm animals are a little bit like my children, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like you can't get too attached under the gold dome because they'll, they'll make sure that they kind of bring you down to earth. Yeah. And they're yeah. hungry a lot. So this being your first session, how can you encapsulate it? Can you give us like a, you know, what's your overall, t- and obviously it's not over yet, but what's, what's your takeaway from the, the experience? Yeah. So I think this is where my goats actually provide a really great metaphor. So um, <laughs> my neighbors have two male goats that have not been neutered and they just got them before, right before session started. And so this entire session long, my goats, my girl goats have been fighting and breaking down the fences to try to get over to the male goats next door. And every time I put up a barrier in their way to like try to keep them separated from each other, they find a way to get through that barrier. And I feel like that's what we've been trying to do against these voter suppression bills is every time there's a bad bill up there, we try to find a way to get around that to help ensure that we protect the ballot box. And we are relentless in our efforts to stand up and to be the loyal supporters of Georgians uh, in the same way that my my lovely goats have been uh, <laughs> relentless in trying to get to the neighbor's goats. Well, that is quite a word picture, Kim, because that's <laughs> as I'm sitting here, like, I'm like, yes, I'm thinking about the Senate and the goats. And yeah, I think I'm going to be uh, thinking about that for a Are while. Are you guys so. going to, you're both good. You're going to show up at the Capitol and you're going to be looking at your colleagues all as goats. Well, that may not be hard. <laughs> so anyway. Well, Kim, I really, really appreciate you spending time with us today and really appreciate you being up there. You have been such a delight and you're so smart and your constituents are really, really lucky to have you. So I really appreciate you um, you serving. Yes, well, Kim and Senator Kim, my apologies again. No problem. And, and Jen, thank you so much, Senator Jordan, for uh, you answer all of my questions when I come and you've just been so incredibly helpful in making this transition for me a lot easier. And so I'm extraordinarily grateful for the model that you demonstrate for me and, and I think for Georgian and for women in particular. So thank you for being a role model before I even got there and for continuing to help me along the way. She really is like um, one of my favorite new people up at the Capitol. And what's great is that she's an Episcopal priest, but she really does think like a lawyer. So she'll come to me and, and, and ask me a question and I'm like, ooh, that is a very, very good point. You should really ask that question. And she has been fearless in terms of standing up and, and really pushing back on Republicans in the well and making them justify what they're doing. I love a pushback. Man, it's great. And I love I yield the well. <laughs> Can I have a reason to say that? And I'm so sorry, uh, Senator Jackson, I called you representative. I'm like, you, you've been giving me the laser eyes. I, met, I read it wrong on my piece of paper. <laughs> it's okay. We're just very 
particular <laughs> in terms of the Senate versus the House. Listen, I get it and I will own it, even though I wanted to record it again. Jim wouldn't let me, which I think is awesome. So we're that's what's great about a podcast. We leave all of this in just for your listening pleasure. Okay. Did you watch the Prince Harry and Meghan Markle interview? I didn't watch it, but I might as well have because on social media, I got all the, the clips and it was crazy. Did, I'm, I'm sure you watched it though. Okay, this was the Super Bowl for me, mostly because of Oprah. That was really like, you know, for me, Oprah is is just everything. I grew up watching Oprah every day at four o'clock. I did too. And we could do a whole podcast just about our favorite Oprah episodes. Oh my gosh. We could so do that. <laughs> I could talk about it all day. I went to this this uh, this Hugh O'Brien thing when I was in high school, and we went to Chicago. Right, this trip it was great. So we we got a a tour of of Harpo Studios. I'm 15 years old, and so we're all sitting there in the studio, and she walks in, and all she's doing is just doing a quick in and out. I literally started crying. Like it's one of those things when you've seen somebody every day. Like, I was a latchkey kid. I came home every day and watched Oprah. I feel like everything I know in life is because of Oprah. I feel so, like, aligned with you right now because I, as a media person, she was, like, my, just my hero. So that's why, like, how did you not watch, how did you not watch it? My cable's been out. Okay. So. Well, I have a couple crazy Oprah stories too, but but let's talk about Megan and Harry for one second because it was just for me, it was just like seeing the Oprah sit down interview where she's just so good at it. And I bring it up because there was an Atlanta angle because, you know, Harry and um, Megan stayed at Tyler Perry's mansion because when they moved to LA, but, you know, people are so split on this one. I mean, I... I I, I don't know. I kind of, I don't know why. I mean, I think it's, it's pretty clear, like how, how Meghan Markle's been treated. It's, it hadn't been, hadn't been good. I mean, I think people can it fairly say that she's somewhat of an opportunist and she, there's no way, like there's one part of it where she, Oprah kind of asked her like, oh, didn't you know, you would know have to curtsy, you would know have to do, you do all these things in the royal protocol. And she claimed ignorance to all that. And she, she also claimed that she didn't Google Prince Harry. Like she didn't know, which, which to me, uh, seeing the, that, that's probably that part. That doesn't hold water. But just to see that Oprah interview, it was just, well, so the Oprah, the last time I saw her was here in Georgia when she was campaigning for Stacey Abrams, I went to an event where, and it was this random thing where like Oprah had just learned about Stacey Abrams, like just was watching the news and didn't know her and just call her. I know this not because Oprah and I talk. It's because <laughs> she just, when she came out and talked about why she was there, she just basically was said she was just in awe of her. And she called Stacey Abrams and said, I just want to campaign for you. And she came to Georgia and did that in 2018. And I was in the front row because I was such like a hustler. Like I just, <laughs> I went to this thing by myself and then I I lucked out. I ran into a friend and I, I watched Oprah. And that's the one, you know, the video that went around of John Lewis dancing to Pharrell's Happy. One of my videos went viral because uh, I was right there in front of him. I got a picture with him. It was just, 
you know, there's just something about Oprah. Okay, so this is the question I asked on my um, Twitter. So who do you want to see the next sit down? Who should Oprah sit down with? Like, you know, that would like be epic ratings like Meghan and Harry. Ooh, that would be really interesting. You know, Kelly and Conway may be interesting. Only if she burns it down. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, because people said Melania. No. If she burns it down. Because the thing is, is like, if you're going to get a robot, if you're going to get a press secretary just deflecting, that was what was so riveting about Harry and Meghan was like, they went there. I mean, I was just like, I mean, Mike, my husband was like, I'm not going to watch this. I'm watching basketball. He sat down. He he sat down the entire time. <laughs> he was like, I cannot believe they're doing this. Yes. So I had those people. And I also said Britney Spears. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't been part of the whole Save Britney thing, but. Oh, you need to learn. Well, uh, gosh, you need to learn so we can do an episode about that. You're a lawyer. Right? You know, conservativeship. I mean, now politicians are trying to get involved in that. Yeah, like Matt gets. That actually makes me not want to. <laughs> I know. Well, her, her dad came out and was like, stay out of it, you guys. This is ridiculous. I also said, you know, the what my dream guest for Oprah would be if he's going to really come clean. I don't know. Who? Jerry Falwell Jr. Oh, there would be lots of tears. Lots of tears. Yeah, I would like to... I would like to. Yeah, that wouldn't be real. That would be just him trying to get back into the church. Very Baptist church redemption revival. You know, let me get baptized again and wash away my sins. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But it was it was riveting. And in a weird way, it did kind of bring the country together for like that one night. It just goes to show the power of appointment television that everybody in America watched except Jen. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'm kind of a loser when it comes to that stuff. I mean, you know, I'll just turn on my, you know, British murder mysteries and go to sleep. Well, okay. So you you don't even need to watch it because it's everywhere. The clips are everywhere. You can't escape it. I mean, it's just it's just what everybody's talking about. Just like our podcast. All right. Anything else, Jen? Anything you want to announce here today? No, I'm good. Thanks, okay, great. Though. I do want to ask one thing. If you're listening to our podcast, can you please comment and give us a rating? Well, only if you're nice. (laughs) Maybe don't comment if you're like, don't like us. Oh, no, we'd like that. No, no. You can email us privately and and, and give us us some shade. Maybe don't do it publicly. You know. That would be voteherpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can tweet those comments to at Senator Jen or at Mara Davis. But yeah, if you wouldn't mind writing a rating on the Apple podcast or wherever you get your podcast, it does go a long way because it helps other people when they're deciding to listen to our podcast. You know, people do read through those comments and we appreciate those. Thanks to Christina Larger for editing as always and Terminus Records for our music. And we will talk to you next time. Yeah, and I think we should go out with... uh with happy because that's how I think both in y- you and I are feeling right now. Done. Come along if you feel like a room without a roof.